It's Friday night. You must be listening to Women's Issues, Women's Voices here on KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. I'm your host tonight, Sarah Catlin, and with me is Bonnie Marcus. She's the author of a book called Not Done Yet, How Women Over 50 Regain Their Confidence and Claim Workplace Power. Good evening, Bonnie. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm so glad you were able to make it. I am just really looking forward to talking to you about this issue that I think a lot of our female listeners, uh, if it's not useful to them now, it'll certainly be use- useful to them in the future because hopefully everybody will get to the point where they're, where they're 50 or older and hoping to contribute. So tell me a little bit about yourself um, and how you came to write this book. Well, I had a 20 plus year corporate Career where I started at an entry level, made it up to the C-suite. We didn't, you know, ran a national company. I decided in 2007 to get certified as a coach, and my mission was to help professional women get the recognition they deserve, to create visibility and credibility for themselves. You know, because in my career, I just noticed there were so many talented women who were being passed over mm-hmm. because either they, they didn't know how to advocate for themselves, they didn't understand the value they contributed, um, or they didn't know how to navigate uh, the political arena, mm-hmm. which is um, the topic of the first book I wrote, The Politics of Promotion. Mm-hmm. So I went back, I got certified as a coach in 2007 and started my, my own business. And my mission was really to help professional women, uh, you know, gain that that recognition that they deserved. Mm-hmm. And I would say, Sarah, it has to be like four years ago, I was coaching a female attorney who worked for a large tech firm in Silicon Valley. She was 58, and she was part of a probably a legal team of eight people, and she was the only older person on that team. Mm -hmm. She wasn't the only woman, but she definitely at 58 was one of the more senior people. Mm -hmm. And even though she had this stellar track record um, over her tenure at this company, she noticed things starting to change. Mm. She was not invited to key meetings anymore. People weren't seeking out her opinion. And what really started to make her nervous was she wasn't getting the amount of work. It was her, her work was either redistributed or she wasn't getting the new client work. Hmm. And she knew instinctively that if her portfolio was smaller, it would be much easier to push her out. So I was coaching her through that experience. And I said to myself, wow, this can't be an isolated experience. (laughs) I wonder if there are more women in this age demographic who are experiencing similar things. And so I started to do research. There isn't a lot of research about it, but Catalyst had, for instance, some interesting research on this topic. And they actually said it's due to lookism, believe it or not, Mm -hmm. that as women age and they show visible signs of aging, they are actually considered to be less competent, irrelevant, and having less value to offer their organization. And it happens to men as well, but much earlier for women because of the emphasis on looks, on Hmm. this lookism. So 
You know, there was some research on ageism in general, but I started to focus on how this really affected women, their job security, as well as um, their financial security, and found that it has a tremendous impact. Hmm. So you're just tuning in. Uh, my guest tonight in Women's Issues and Women's Voices is Bonnie Marcus, and we're talking about being an older woman in the workplace and how you can make sure that you get your just desserts. So obviously one way to address this is just to fight looking older. I mean, we're not going to probably delve too yeah. much into that tonight. But I mean, there's cosmetic things you can do uh, of varying levels of intervention, right, to fight the appearances of aging. And, and of course, those are, that's the obvious thing that you could do. But you and your book also have, you know, quite a few really solid suggestions for things that you can do, um, activities that you can do that will hopefully help women keep the place that they've earned and even continue to hopefully advance in their careers. So you talked a minute ago about how women begin to not be valued. And a phrase you use in your book is talking about you having a value proposition. Can you talk to Mm -hmm. me a little bit about what that means and and what one would sound like? Yeah, so a value proposition is how your work and the way you do the work leads to positive business outcomes. So not your job title or description, but it's really how you're doing the work that makes an impact. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there could be, uh, I don't know, 10 program managers in your company. Uh, they all have the same title and job description. But everybody approaches and they bring something unique to their work that leads to these positive business outcomes. And it's really important to identify what that is that makes you unique so that you can begin to build influence within the organization based on the value that you bring. So, for instance, if you are speaking to somebody either in your department or, you know, on another team, and you ask them, you know, how is it going? You know, what's happening with your work? Is there anything that might be challenging right now? You know, I'd love to learn more about what you're doing. And as they respond, you can then perhaps offer to help them based on what the value you bring. Mm -hmm. Um, You might be able to help them reach their objectives. You might be able to help your manager, your team, your organization based on how you're doing the work. So, for instance, if you are someone who is very technical, tech savvy, Mm -hmm. The, you, the way you approach a problem in the workplace would be much different than, say, I would approach it. Because I, though I'm tech savvy, I don't look at the world through a technical lens. I don't see natural solutions that pop up technically. If I had to address a customer service issue in the company, I wouldn't look at the kinds of things that, say, a technical person would. Mm-hmm. Your first solution might, is not going to be some a new piece of software or a new gadget. Yeah. Or tweaking what's there mm-hmm. and making mm-hmm. it better so that it would work. Yeah. So identifying that is really powerful. And not only gives you a lot of confidence because you're like, wow, okay, this is really what I bring to the table. But it does help you advocate for yourself and build influence. 
Yeah, because generally, I would guess someone who is older, unless you've just moved to an entirely new city, I mean, you've got more connections, uh, personal connections Mm -hmm. than your junior colleagues, you've got good karma or whatever you want to call it built up in those relationships that you have with either clients or donors or sponsors or vendors or whoever it is you're dealing with, and even just other people in the company. Yeah. But not only that, Sarah, we, our experiences, Mm -hmm. We have learned so many great lessons mm-hmm, right, right. that our younger colleagues have yet to learn. And we need to own those experiences, you know, the good and the bad, the mm-hmm. missteps and, and the successes, because all of those experiences make us who we are today. That is extremely valuable, not only to mentor younger colleagues, but to position ourselves as someone who confidently understands that we have something to offer and to stop apologizing for our age, but instead owning it. Yeah. And you have lots of really good concrete examples in your book of ways that she can do the small and large ways that she can do this. For one example, talk to me about a brag club. You say everybody should, every woman should have a brag yeah. club. Well, there, I mean, I don't think it's a secret that mm-hmm. women of any age might have some challenges advocating for themselves. Mm -hmm. They may hesitate to do it or they may not know how to do it extremely well. So a brag club is when you would buddy up with one or more colleagues, trusted colleagues, and you agree that you will advocate for each other in the workplace. And a way to do that is to get together, say, once a month And you talk about specific things that you have been successful at or progress you've made on certain projects. And you agree to share that with others in in the organization. Mm -hmm. So you may not be doing it, you know, that much for yourself or your team, but your buddies, your Bragfest Mm -hmm. buddies Mm -hmm. can help you spread the word. I can see how I might, I personally would be a lot more comfortable lifting up someone else, their achievements rather than my own. And so you're just sort of swapping those duties. And honestly, coming from a a third party, it might even have more impact depending on who that third party was hearing that from someone who's not yourself. Yeah. Right. That's a great idea. Especially if you're not really good at advocating Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What a great idea. And then also then you get to have your little team, right? You have this little yeah. team that you're checking in with. That sounds lovely. So you have lots of other suggestions too. I mean, what are some other ways that you can make yourself visible in a large company? Because part of it is you don't want to be made invisible. As you get older and people get used to you being around and just take you for granted, what are some other ways that you could suggest for a woman to be more visible around yeah, the office? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing, you know, to your point is, that we have to remind ourselves how important it is to be visible. You know, sometimes when we're the oldest member in the department, we may feel self-conscious and unconsciously withdraw, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Because we don't want to bring attention to our age or be in the spotlight. So I think the first important thing, you know, is the mindset that, hey, if I am to stay marketable and not only keep my job, but perhaps advanced my career at some point, I need to let people know uh, that I'm still here, that I have um, opinions to to offer new ideas to mm-hmm. offer, you know, that comes with raising your hand and making sure that people know that, you know, you still have a lot 
to offer. But depending on where you work, you could create your own personal visibility plan. You know, what are some ways in your company that you would be more visible? So maybe that has to do with facilitating a networking event. And maybe that's a cross-generational networking event, which is a win-win for both parties, networking or mentoring. So if you don't have something like that in your organization, maybe you go to your manager, you go to HR, and you offer to start this kind of an initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, not only does it give you more visibility, but it also gives you recognition and you show up as more of a leader. Mm-hmm. Are there certain company events that you can help organize um, or be on a committee where you know you would gain more visibility? Are there some events in the community that you can help your company get involved for more social good? Mm-hmm different food drives, for instance, things like that. Is there the potential to set up a lunch and learn in your department? Maybe you initiate that and you get together with your team and say, what are some of the topics that are really important for us to learn more about? Mm -hmm. And can we bring in speakers or can we do this internally? So these are the kinds of things that not only, Sarah, give you more visibility, but really position you as more of a leader. Yeah. And if you're just tuning in, my guest this hour is Bonnie Marcus, and she's the author of a new book called Not Done Yet, How Women Over 50 Regain Their Confidence and Claim Workplace Power. So yeah, those are all great suggestions for making yourself visible, but that comes with a caveat. And that's where I'm going to lead you next, because Mm -hmm. you want to make sure you're not always being the one making the copies and doing the dishes. So you have to be politically savvy, right? You have to know which things to say yes to. So you want to talk to me a little bit about how you choose what to say yes to and... Well, um, first of all, um, you know, doing the dishes, taking notes, doing that stuff is not Mm -hmm. getting visibility. Mm -hmm. You know, I talk about what I call the doer trap, where we are so anxious not only to please others, but to really support our ambition that we're willing to take on almost anything. And very often, Sarah, it's the stuff that our colleagues don't want to do. Yeah. And there's a reason. So they push it off on us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, Oh, I want that person to like me or I, I, you know, I want to have a good reputation. So I'll, I'll take it on. Mm -hmm. But we really need to be much more strategic about what we say yes to. And part of that is understanding who is making the request. Right. So if it's a senior leader, and you are trying to build a relationship with that senior leader, you might, you you know, you might consider it. But the advice I do give is not to immediately say yes to everything. Yep. You know, whether it's counting to 10 or saying, you know, I appreciate, you know, you approaching me on this, let me get back to you. Mm -hmm. Because our tendency would be to really shoot from the hip and say, oh, yeah, of course, I'll do that. But that time, whether you say, I'll get back to you later, or I'll get back to you tomorrow, gives you some time to think strategically about, is this something that, number one, I have time for? Is this going to be a win-win? Is this something that will affect, perhaps, my performance review? Uh, Because a lot of the stuff we take on, you know, and we spend so much time on, not only affects our performance, because we don't have time for it, we don't have the bandwidth. Mm -hmm. 
but it's not anything that we get recognition for at the end of the day. Yeah. So it's just so extra it's extra really work important. with no payout. Yeah. 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 Somebody gave me that advice a long time ago, and I don't follow it as often as I should, but to always sleep on it. There's usually yeah. very little when someone asks something of you, there's very little that can't wait until the next day. And you might really view it differently the morning after to just give yourself a time, even if you think you want to do it, to go ahead and sleep on it. Right. Yeah. Because sometimes, let's face it, we're flattered. Mm-hmm. You know, I give an example in the book where somebody says, would you come speak at this event in Buffalo, New York? And it's winter. You mm-hmm. know? And at first I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, because I'm so flattered you're, you're inviting me to speak. But then when I think about it, you know, maybe they're not paying me or they're not paying for my travel. And, you know, do I really want to go to Buffalo, New York in in the winter? So when I stop and think about it, what the pros and cons would be, and having that time to, as you said, sleep on it, I might evaluate it and say, uh, it's really not going to work for me at this time. Or negotiate some travel money, you know, yeah. so that that's part of the deal. I mean, there's different, there's in-betweens. Or it's not necessarily a no. You yeah. know, you buy so many books. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, there are different ways to approach it. Yeah. But I think, you know, your point is well taken. And the advice I give in the book is don't say yes automatically. Yeah. To everything. And it can be hard, a hard habit to break. I'm here to say from personal oh, yeah. experience. We but if you practice, if you, yeah, if you practice telling yourself that you're not allowing yourself to automatically respond, even when you want to do it, then it's easier to not automatically respond when you shouldn't. <laughs> and right. you should think about it right. more. Yeah, breaking that <laughs> knee jerk reaction. Yeah, it's great advice. And near the beginning of the hour, you have the example of the lawyer who worked for the tech firm and was often the oldest person in the room. What kind of advice do you have? Because in the book, you say multiple times, you say versions of it's your relationships that will save you. When the ship's on fire and and sinking, it's your relationships that will save you. So how can you, as a 50 plus woman in the workplace, create real connections and real relationships with people who might be, you know, 24, 25, 26 and their idea of a good time is going out for drinks after work and staying out very, very late doing that. And you've, maybe that's not your thing. Yeah. Well, first, I think we need to recognize that there is a benefit from building relationships with people of all ages, mm-hmm. right? There's a benefit to diversity in all aspects, including diversity of thought. Mm-hmm. And that for us to improve our skills, you know, for us to support a growth mindset, it's important to know that we can learn things from a lot of our colleagues and they can learn from us. Mm-hmm. We hesitate to reach out to younger colleagues because we assume that, number one, they're not going to want to talk to us if we're older. They may view us as, as a dinosaur mm-hmm. or whatever. Fuddy daddy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's not our comfort zone, and so we, you know, we might hesitate to do it. But if you approach it with the mindset that we have something to learn from everyone, and that the best way to dispel any ageist assumptions that are associated with our generation, and a younger generation for that matter, is to make one-on-one contact and, and relationships. Mm-hmm. So maybe you start with a younger colleague on your team or in your department and you say, you know, I'd love to learn more about you and not only your background, but the work that you're doing. You know, can we set up um, a coffee time? Mm -hmm. 
you may find some commonality there mm-hmm. that may surprise you. Even if it's something well, simple like you both have dogs and yep. you love dogs. I mean, it can be any simple little thing. Or you both love the Red Sox. Yeah. Or you both, you know, yeah. whatever it is, it's the initial small talk that will help you mm-hmm. to find some kind of commonality and, and develop a bond. But most importantly, to understand that everybody has something to offer and you can, in fact, learn from each other. Maybe it's you're a 50-plus woman and this is a younger woman who's considering being a mom mm-hmm. or is a new mom. And you know, how do you navigate that in the workplace if you have the ambition? I mean, there are all kinds of ways that you can add value and then you can learn from them as well. Yeah. And I love that suggestion too, because I'm just picturing, you know, if it were some sort of a happy hour situation and it's a bar you've never been to and you're walking in to a room full of these junior colleagues, that could be very daunting. Whereas just a one-on-one quiet 20 or 30 minute coffee break where you're just sitting down with one person is is a lot more manageable. It's a lot more manageable. It's intimidating if a one-on-one is is much more comfortable, mm-hmm. even though you may feel a little awkward at first. Mm-hmm. But breaking it, you know, a happy hour where there are a bunch of people who already know each other, mm-hmm. regardless mm-hmm. of their age, you're less likely to really initiate a contact that yeah, a real meaningful that, conversation. Yeah, it's often loud yeah. and you get interrupted. Yeah. I love that suggestion. And I also love the suggestion in the book, which seems so obvious, but let's say that you do end up feeling like you need to show up at some kind of social event that's not really your cup of tea. Just drop in and say hi real quick and say, you know, I've got somewhere I have to be. Doesn't matter if it's true or not. You know, I've got somewhere I have to be in a minute, but I just wanted to pop in and say hi. Yeah. And so that you yeah, being visible. And I think, you know, it's also um, an opportunity to come up with an event that would be maybe more age inclusive mm-hmm. you know, theater event a community event i mean it doesn't have to be pickle pickleball, pickleball or mm-hmm. um or happy hour right right great suggestions and some of these what after you say them out loud seem so obvious but i know i myself could do better in all these mm-hmm. all these ways. Let's talk a little bit about you mentioned before, and I wanted to follow up talking about a growth mindset, um, and that's something you are you for in your book. Can you talk a little bit about what that growth mindset means? Well, a growth mindset means that uh, you believe that you can always expand your knowledge, right? You can always expand your horizon. It, you know, with a fixed mindset, you believe you're, you've been given so much brain power, <laughs> and that's kind of it. The growth mindset is like, wow, there are, I, you know, I've got new things that I can learn, um, new skills. And it's really important uh, because, first of all, as you age, you want to m- maintain and continue to improve your cognitive functioning. Mm-hmm. And by learning new things, you definitely can do that. And there's research that shows that that is true. Mm-hmm. But there are many things that you can do to improve your marketability, right? Mm-hmm. So, for instance, what skills do you need to improve to perhaps perform better at work? What new trends are happening in your industry right now? 
where you could be on the forefront. You could be proactive about learning some new skills Mm -hmm. or information that you can then pass on to others on, on your team. So it's always being, you know, aware of not only how you can improve your performance, um, your knowledge base right now, but what that would look like even in a year, staying on the forefront and being proactive. And there are many ways to do that. It could be podcasts. It could be taking courses. It could be reading more. I mean, we have so much available to us now through the Internet, especially that provide ways for us to expand our knowledge. Mm-hmm. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Women's Issues, Women's Voices. My guest tonight is Bonnie Marcus. She's the author of Not Done Yet, How Women Over 50 Regain Their Confidence and Claim Workplace Power. She's also available on the web at bonniemarcusleadership.com. We're going to take a quick station break, and we will be right back with more. And we're back on Women's Issues, Women's Voices. My guest tonight is Bonnie Marcus. She's the author of Not Done Yet, How Women Over 50 Regain Their Confidence and Claim Workplace Power. It's a new book that's just out. And she's also available on the web at bonniemarcusleadership.com. And we've been talking about her book and and actually concrete strategies that women can use to uh, improve their performance at work and improve the way that they are viewed by their colleagues at work. Bonnie, I wondered if we could move next to talking about the kind of the nightmare situation that you're over 50 and you're laid off or you lose your job and you find that you're on the job market. And so then you're really up against this ageism, this lookism in a way that somebody who at least has a job in hand is not. What are your suggestions? Like, for instance, what would you do with your resume? Not to lie exactly, but just to sort of leave it open as to what age you might be. What are some some tips and tricks for, for instance, the resume that you might send ahead of trying to get that interview? Well, I think uh, there is really a great way to present your experience to show that you're current versus mm-hmm. listing every single job you've ever had. Mm-hmm. Focusing on, say, even just the last 10 years on your resume would be, uh, I think, a a really valuable approach Mm -hmm. because that definitely ages you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think, you know, we need to focus on that. It's important to be much more specific about what your job responsibilities have been for each position you've held and then what you have accomplished. I like to advise my clients to delineate that really separately. So if you say you were um, an assistant vice president in this organization, what were your responsibilities in that position? And, you know, you can list that under the bullets. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I had X amount of direct reports. I da, 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 this is what I did. And then what were your specific accomplishments? And if you can quantify them, Mm -hmm. you know, certainly all the better. Right. But the point that I think is really important is how, not so much your history, but how you can help a potential employer reach their objective Mm -hmm. going forward. Mm -hmm. So instead of focusing so much, especially in an interview or cover letter, on the past, You want to position yourself as somebody who has tremendous value that can help them move forward. You may have to do a little research. Mm -hmm. You know, you may have to ask questions even in the interview. 
What are you hoping to accomplish with this position? Or what is your organization or department hoping to accomplish in the next year? So that you can then position yourself and say, well, here's how I can help you, which mm-hmm. takes you back to the value proposition. Yeah. Right? Because here's you, how yeah. I can help you move forward. To, and that is powerful, Sarah. If you can get them to visualize you in that position and your yep. specific talents, I think you've, you're halfway there, if not more. Absolutely. Yeah. And to try to oh, let go of some of the oh, your own ageist beliefs and assumptions. Mm-hmm. If you walk into an interview already thinking that, oh, my God, they're going to think I'm too old, I'm never going to get this job, mm-hmm. then you aren't going to have the energy and passion. You're not going to show up the way you should. So I, I think the first thing we, we need to do is understand the value, understand how we're going to help this organization uh, move forward and not be apologetic mm-hmm. that we're um, X amount of years old mm-hmm. or we've been in the market for X amount. Yeah, because I would argue, you know, a large part when you meet someone face to face, especially, or maybe even over video, a large part of how someone quote unquote looks is their swagger. It's how you present yourself. If your posture is slumped, if your energy is low, you're going to come off very differently than if you're upbeat and energetic and um, engaged. And obviously, you're a person who uh, is comfortable in your own skin. I mean, without making a single change to how you actually physically look, just the attitude and the way you carry yourself can just totally change someone's impression. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Um, you know, but I do have a chapter in the book about dressing the part. Yes. And I think, you know, I'm not talking about plastic surgery here, mm-hmm. but um, I think paying attention to the way you look yep. and making sure that you are age appropriate, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, but professional. Yeah. Um, make sure that you don't dress frumpy. Make sure that you, you're paying attention to your wardrobe, to your makeup, to your hair, that you've updated yeah. it so that you don't look like you've been in, in, in a closet for the last 20 years. Yeah, yeah. And there are, there are professionals that can help you with that if that's not your... Oh, yeah. Not, yeah, and yeah. Then you can find them on the internet. So there's that. And then, you know, you also talked about, you know, sometimes you can be your own worst enemy. Do you want to talk a little bit about the voice in your head that you've named and how you deal with her? Uh, yeah, I've named her Trudy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's important, you know, it's kind of important to address your negative voice, Mm -hmm. uh, give him or her a name, because it just makes it easier to deal with it. If that voice is saying, oh, you know, you, they're never going to hire you anyway, you, you don't have the right experience, or you have too much experience, or whatever that negative Mm -hmm. voice is that we all have, and we're never going to get rid of it. So I would never, I would never say you can completely get rid of those negative voices. But what you can do is give them less energy. And and by giving them a name, I think it's easier to kind of push it aside. Like, oh, Trudy, no, I know that I have value. Um, I'm not going to listen to you. That's just going to sabotage me in this interview. But we need to really own our story. And one of the exercises that I do with my clients as well as what I offer in the book is to really be honest with yourself and sit down, unplug, sit down and write 
the current story you tell yourself about yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, no limits. You know, just be really, really honest, and then take a look at that story and read it out loud and say, "Wait a minute, is this story support my success, or does this sabotage me?" Hmm. Because we can turn it around. We can. We have the power to build more positive neural pathways in our brain mm-hmm. with repetitive positive thoughts. And if you're telling yourself that you know you're too old to get a raise, you're too old to get promoted, that you're no longer attractive because you're over fifty, all of these things, then that is going to sabotage you in ways that you don't even realize. Yeah. The way you show up at work every day, mm-hmm. the energy that you have. Yeah, that's the swagger a... I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's, you could just read it on a person. You can read it right on them the minute you meet them. What... So I, I, mm-hmm. I say you can rewrite that story. Yeah. You know, look at that story. If it doesn't support your success, write another one that does empower you and read that out loud or keep it visible every day. Mm-hmm. And if the negative story butts in, just don't give it any energy. Yep, that's great advice. It's a rabbit hole. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. It's not building you up. It's just going to tear you down. Mm -hmm. If you're just tuning Mm -hmm. in, my guest this hour is Bonnie Marcus. Uh, She's the author of Not Done Yet, and she's on the web at bonniemarcusleadership.com. And let's go ahead and do a quick plug for your your podcast. You've got a podcast, and I love the title. It's called Badass Women at Any Age. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I I love doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. Really, I feature amazing women who have overcome certain obstacles to be where they are in, in their in their life and, and career now. Mm-hmm. And it's women of all ages. You know, mm-hmm. I've had, I've interviewed women in their 30s. I've interviewed women, you know, up probably through 60s, 70s. But I'm really interested in knowing their personal story and their personal journey. Yeah. And that to me is what is really, really inspiring because we look at somebody who we say, wow, that person has started that company or they're so successful in their career or they've written this book or, you know, whatever. But we don't understand how they got there. You know, we don't understand the lessons that they've learned, what they've had to overcome to be where they are. So that's what I find is really badass Mm -hmm. and inspiring. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love those stories. Anytime I talk to women about their careers, so often they will have a story that's like, well, that's not really what I set out to do. It's not a straight path, usually. It's a series of chance encounters or opportunities that seem to fall on their lap, although I might argue they're a little more earned than you might they might be taking credit for. But yeah, it's so interesting to hear the twists and turns and how, how one does come yeah, to the I point mean, where I you're pointing to interview them. I started out as a them. kindergarten teacher. <laughs> yeah, right? I never, I never had the intention of being a CEO of a, of a company, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So it, it's really understanding, well, gosh, how'd you get from being a kindergarten teacher to the C-suite? You know, what happened? Those are the kinds of things that I think are not only interesting, 
and entertaining, but inspiring. Yeah, and absolutely. Who are some of the female business leaders or even just leaders in general that you admire? It seems like the media doesn't always lift those women up the way, or very few of them. It picks a few token ones, and that's the same ones you hear about all the time. So since we're talking about women in the workplace and successful older women, I mean, who are some of your role models or dream interviews for your podcast? Who do you admire? Uh, dream interviews. Oh, wow. Um I would love to interview Rachel Maddow. Mm-hmm. I'd love to interview Mika Brzezinski. I'd love to interview Nancy Pelosi. I'd love to interview uh, Jane Fonda. Mm-hmm. Gosh, Lily Tomlin. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I there's just, some people. I just watched some new episodes of their show, so that's kind of. Oh, right. I love that show. Remind me what it's called. Grace and Frankie. Grace and Frankie. Yes. That's a funny show. Yeah. And talk about, I mean, they really did have a just a blooming late in their career. I mean, people might have written them off or thought, are they still alive? And now they've got this hit show and it's fabulous. So what a great example of women who have come back and are just very, very visible because it's a television show and they're actresses. And not only that, but celebrating where they are That's in exactly their life right. and career. Yeah, and, poking fun at, and poking fun at it through the show and, and yeah, owning it. I know. As, as, you are, yeah. as you argue, they're owning their whole package, right? Because it's the only one they'll yep. ever have. Yep. Yeah. You know, you were talking about being a kindergarten teacher and, and how one comes at a job. And I read somewhere once that, just, and of course, this is a generalization, but the, that one difference between in an interview situation, men and women is that men will say they know how to do whatever it is they're being asked to do, regardless of whether they actually know how to do it. If they're fairly certain that they could figure it out, they'll say, yeah, I can do that. Mm -hmm. Whereas women Mm -hmm. kind of want to know that they have it down cold before they will agree. Yeah, they need to be like 150%. And then they'll agree to it. How do you think that affects women's chances when you go into an interview? And is, is there any way to... To combat that, I mean, you don't want to lie. I, it still feels dishonest to me. I can't imagine myself promising things that I don't understand. But yeah, it just seems like that mindset has got to work against women when they go into interview situation and they're underselling yeah, so, them, their potential. Um, you know, let me let me share with you the story, which I do share in the book. How I was newly divorced and I had uh, two young children, and my kindergarten teaching salary um, was not going to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. So I answered an ad in a paper, t- you know, for a medical secretary. And at first they told me I was, you know, they, they, I was too qualified with a master's degree and they didn't want to give it to me. But then they called me back and they said they were starting a new joint venture with a healthcare management company and 30 docs um, to open a cardiac rehab center. And would I be interested in interviewing for the administrator position? And, you know, I'm really blunt about this in in the book. I had no qualifications to do this. I was barely managing my checkbook at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I was young. I I got married pretty young, had these kids, and um, I didn't have a business mind at all. But I said, yeah. So that's the first thing. It's like, what do I have to lose, right, by going to this interview? And I think a, a lot of us are so afraid of, taking the leap or failing that, you know, we don't pick up on opportunities that present themselves. So I had this interview and clearly they wanted somebody who could manage the doctors, manage the center. And I just talked about how 
The only thing, Sarah, I could talk about was that I knew, I kind of knew what it was like to be in the cardiac rehab space. My dad had a heart attack when he was very young, and we changed our lifestyle, and I knew the importance of exercise and diet and all of that. I also grew up in a medical family. I was comfortable with docs, Mm -hmm. and I was an aerobics instructor, so I knew the benefits. (laughs) Of good, healthy, Uh, hard exercise. Yeah. Right. So I was very authentic. I didn't pretend Mm -hmm. that I could do something that I I was not capable, did not have the skills to do. Mm -hmm. But they hired me because I'm sure they knew I was smart. Mm -hmm. I could learn new things. Mm And I had that kind of confidence and, and ability to learn new things. Anybody who can manage a room full of kindergartners is, has, <laughs> is aces in my book. Well, <laughs> I mean, that alone manage, should have spoken volumes. Managing the egos of 30 docs is not easy. Either. Yep, that, I can imagine that's probably true. But anyway, that, so that was the start of my business career. Mm-hmm. And I, I never got an MBA, but I still was very successful in business. And I think... People assume, oh, you must have gone to business school, whatever. It was, mm-hmm. no, I walked into that first interview and um, I nailed it just by being who, who I am. Your authentic self. But you know, in that story, I think what you did, and back then without probably having the language for it that you do now in your career, is that you did know your value. Like, here's yeah. some things I have accomplished. These are skills I have that are that could be applied forward. Yeah, you were very confident. You you knew your value, and you just you very genuinely expressed that in a way that wasn't bragging, but that was just honest and no. authentic. Yeah, and they responded to that mm-hmm. as who wouldn't. Of course, I'm guessing you were probably also cute as a bug back then. <laughs> didn't have, weren't fighting against ageism at that point, too. No, but you know, ageism occurs at both ends of the That's spectrum. That's true. That's true. And um, I'm currently doing um, research on gendered ageism in the workplace, and mm. but I've had over 700 respondents from 30 through 70. Mm-hmm. And the women who are younger are talking about it. I, I just had a quote from the, somebody who she said, I'm 30. I was doing a presentation at work the other day and somebody stopped me right in the middle of the presentation and asked me how old I was. And she said, gendered ageism is awful. It completely derailed my Mm -hmm. credibility and, you know, whatever. So it it happens at both ends. That's so, you just get so disgusted when you hear stories like that. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that we have not covered this hour that you for sure wanted to get to? I mean, there's so much more in this book. I mean, you talk about being on the job search uh, in here. There's more about that, if that's helpful. There's a whole chapter about if you do have to actually pursue um, legal action against someone because it's gotten to the point where Mm -hmm. you really need to to protect yourself or uh, take legal action against an employer who has egregiously um, violated your rights. Um, there's advice in here for that. So I'm happy to not talk about that, but it's there if you need it. Yeah, um, right. Such an awful topic. I think the point I, I would like to make mm-hmm. is that, first of all, it was difficult for me to get women to interview for this book. There's a real hesitancy to come forward and own your age. Really? Um, and I most of the women, you know, that you probably recognize in the book, it's anonymous. You know, mm-hmm. I, I gave them another name or whatever to protect them. Mm-hmm. But I like like engendered ageism in the workplace right now to where women were before the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. So before Me Too came along, 
women were experiencing sexual harassment, sometimes sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. They didn't feel comfortable filing a complaint. They didn't feel comfortable coming forward. There wasn't a safe environment to discuss it, even with other women, certainly not with their managers or HR. Right. They didn't have the legal footing um, to, to necessarily fight it. And after Me Too, things started to change. I mean, we still have a long way to go. Yeah. But the parallel I'm bringing is that I find that women, older women in the workplace now, have the same types of feeling that they aren't safe bringing this forward, that the, the law does not protect them. Companies can easily get around the, the age discrimination law. Yeah. Well, here in the um, state of Missouri, it's, you can be fired for any reason or no reason. Yeah. No reason has to be given. Yeah. I forget what you call that, but yeah. Yeah. So, so prove, prove that it was um, ageism. And, and what does it matter? Because you could be fired at, at will employment. That's what it's called, at will employment. Yeah. So, I mean, I get part of, you know, writing this book was to build awareness that this is under the radar right now, that it needs to be addressed um, as a DEI initiative with companies. Mm-hmm. It does affect women, seriously affect um, their career trajectory and their job security. And their earning potential and and the level that they're earning when they retire and then their retirement from there on out. I mean, one of the questions I asked in in my research is, uh, do you currently have enough money to retire? Mm -hmm. And 65% of the respondents said no. Yeah. They don't have enough money to to retire. They need to keep working. Yeah. So this is, you know, this is really a critical issue for women. Right. And... We need to understand how to have these conversations with people who may pass along demeaning remarks. How do you have those conversations? How do you address this with, with your manager, with HR? Yeah. And uh, what are some of your options? And your book has got some really nice uh, walkthroughs of how that could look. Again, mm-hmm. the book is called Not Done Yet, How Women Over 50 Regain Their Confidence and Claim Workplace Power. And my guest is Bonnie Marcus. Uh, she's also on the web at bonniemarcusleadership.com and uh, your podcast, Badass Women at Any Age. I just can't thank you enough for um, bringing your expertise and your advice to my listeners for this last hour. I know this is something that you get paid big, big bucks to do uh, as a profession. So for you to be kind enough to share it um, just out of your generosity for an hour with anyone listening is just so kind. And I just really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Sarah. I really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Me too. Thanks so much. And so um, you can connect with Bonnie Marcus on the web. and, And don't forget to tune in next week to Women's Issues, Women's Voices. Hope you have a good night.